one of the organisations I applied to was, was the ABC. And as luck would have it, and it was luck because the cadetships, the traineeships of the ABC have always been very, very competitive. But as luck would have it, I, um, I, I jagged a job and I thought, uh, stuff it, goodbye university. And uh, started, uh, did this, so finished the year of university, started um, as a reporter at the ABC. The biggest challenge I faced was just this year bloody nervousness of going in there thinking I was a fraud, an imposter, how lucky was I getting this cadetship. The journalists thought nothing of about uh, just uh, getting up from their typewriters, yes we had typewriters still, at midday and going down for a three or four hour liquid lunch and stumbling back to the newsroom and writing a story. That's that's gone, which is great. This is back in 2005, by that stage I've been at the ABC for 15 or so years and was building myself up to getting overseas. Uh, like the BBC, the ABC has many postings overseas. And I was always very keen on getting a posting uh, to a place like the United States. I've always been fascinated by US politics, by US culture, by American society. And again, as with getting into the ABC, it's a very competitive process. And I was very lucky to get the job out of a very big field of applicants. One of the biggest stories in American politics over the last 20 years, and that was the election of Barack Obama. Uh, so I covered uh, his campaign quite closely. Uh, John McCain, his Republican Challengers campaign quite closely. There on the night that he was elected president in November 2008 in Chicago, about 30, 50 metres away from the stage when he came out to speak. I was there on inauguration day in January 2009 when he was sworn in as president. So uh, very lucky to be there um, and covered very uh, happily another, several other great stories in the States as well. It was a, a great professional experience, but also a great life experience. I was only there for four years, so there was no question that I was coming home after, after four years. But it was hard because my posting ended just after I covered the election of Barack Obama. You know, at that time, the biggest story in the world. Um, and to go from that to covering relatively low-key stuff back in Australia was, was quite hard. It was quite a transition from being a straight news reporter, a straight down the barrel to um, opening up a bit of my, my personality, uh, you know, clicking the switch from heavy to light, which you need to do as a breakfast TV host. That was a, a bit of a, um, a rocky path, a bit of a, a, bit of a strange transition. But um, in the end, it was absolutely the, the right uh, job to take at the right time. Stuff goes wrong and stuff goes wrong. It's three hours of live TV, so uh, uh, stuff will go wrong and certainly does go wrong. So you just go with the flow. I'm certainly much more open now than what I was, uh, or less, I guess, anxious about showing my personality than I was when I started. Um, took, took a fair while to get out of the, you know, the straight jacket of being a straight news reporter and no, no opinions, no personality, just, just the straight facts. But the reason I'm still here, and I've, I've had job offers over the years to go elsewhere, is that I, 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 I love working for the ABC. I, I love the uh, concept of public broadcasting. So I decided uh, I'd give journalism a go and uh, Happily, have a look back uh, more than 30 years down the track. Hello and welcome back to the Back With A Bank podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Walden, obviously co-host Jeremy Glade, and today I'm honoured to be joined by a special guest, an ABC reporter, television presenter, Michael Rowland. Michael, thanks for joining us. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Jeremy. Brilliant. 
Um, first question I have, Michael, is when did you know you wanted to be a journalist? I really didn't know when I was at school. I got to my final year of school really not knowing what I wanted to do. And I, I think that's the case for a lot of kids. I, I knew I liked English. I has, have always been fascinated by history. So, I mean, that was pointing me in the direction towards journalism. But I, I really had no great uh, desire or overriding passion to be a journalist at school, um, it was just towards the end of school, I, I got some better than expected marks in my final exams, which enabled me to get into some of the, at that time, hard to get into journalism courses. So I decided uh, I'd give journalism a go and uh, happily haven't looked back uh, more than 30 years down the track. Was there like a specific reason why you sort of looked at journalism and thought, you know, that's a career industry for me? Yeah, I always, I grew up in a household where we always watched news. My mum and dad uh, were always and still are very big news consumers. We'd sit down at night and watch the six o'clock news at night. We have the main news bulletin a bit earlier here than you guys do over there. Um, there are always newspapers around. So there was always that um, interest fostered from an early age in the news and current affairs. And I was interested in news and current affairs at school, as I said, very deeply interested in history um and uh so I've, I've just i guess i've had this natural curiosity about uh the world about australia and those sort of issues and i think uh the, the gods smiled on me when i got those marks that i didn't think i was going to get and uh, propelled me into into journalism so it's um a, a career that i've been very very happy with how did you uh, go about getting into journalism yourself I had a bit of a zigzag pass. I, I started this uh, degree that I got into, but wasn't too happy with it at the time. It was quite a bad degree uh, 30 odd years ago. It's much better now at the university in question. So I started getting frustrated and, and looking for uh, ways out, jobs, cadetships, traineeships, at, uh, newspapers, at radio stations, at, at TV stations. And um, one of the organisations I applied to was, was the ABC. And as luck would have it, and it was luck because the cadetships, the traineeships of the ABC have always been very, very competitive. But as luck would have it, I, um, I, I jagged a job and I thought, uh, stuff it, goodbye university. And uh, started, uh, did so finished the year of university, started um, as a reporter at the ABC the year after. And I have to say, I, I learned more in my first two or three months as an on-the-road young reporter uh, with the ABC than I did in the entire previous year as a journalist sitting in boring lecture theatres. So um, I, uh, I think I made the, the right decision there. Brilliant. What sort of things did you learn like, on the road, obviously, then, as a young reporter there? Oh, just to go out and find stories, which I think is uh, the, the bread and butter for every journalist or should be the bread and butter for every journalist. It's very fine to get taught um, stuff and it's very important to learn how to structure a lead, how to, how to write a story, how to write a news story, how to write a feature story. But nothing beats being uh, able to get out on the streets, quite literally, and sniffing out a story. So I, I recall in my first week as a cadet at the ABC, I was still very green, very nervous. Uh, tossed a, a tape recorder. Now, you, you young chaps won't know what a tape recorder is. It used, there's, there are these things called cassettes, which were very big back in the 1980s. Uh, tossed this tape recorder with cassette and sent out to press conferences, but also sent out to, to find stories. And 
and I did that from from the get go. So I think that experience I think was more than anything important in in setting me up for my future career. What sort of like challenges and stuff did you uh, over like face as a young reporter obviously working such a ABC and stuff? Yeah, ABC uh, is a bit like the the BBC or very much like the BBC. Uh, a, a smaller, but still the same sort of um, position in Australian society as the UK holds over there. It's it's big, it's powerful, it's uh, respected, and the biggest challenge I faced was just the sheer bloody nervousness of going in there, thinking I was a fraud, an imposter. How lucky was I getting this? cadetship um it must have been luck i'm sure there are other more successful candidates or better qualified candidates they're going to find me out um so i think the big, the big challenge was was lack of confidence and nerves which um you know stuck with me for a while um and i think that's 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 the case for most young journalists if they're honest you know if they're, unless they're complete egomaniacs you you do have a bit of self-doubt about your abilities and you need to get in there and, and prove yourself. So, and I, I still think uh, to this day that, my God, ha, ha, how did I get here? Who are the stupid people on the panel? How, 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 did, not, how did they not see through me 30 years ago? Um, but uh, yeah, so that, they're challenges, but you know, they're overcome as with most challenges with sheer persistence, you know, going back and uh, trying to re, uh, do better every day, do better every week, do better every month. And that's the approach I've, I've taken. How did you overcome the nerves and the lack of confidence at a young age. I'd keep doing what I was doing, Joe. Uh, it's simple as that. Um, it's um, and, and to listen, to be honest, 30 years down the track, I present a national breakfast TV program uh, with a huge audience. I, I still get nerves um, on occasion before big interviews, say we've got the Prime Minister on or we're, we're covering a big story. I, I still get nerves, uh, which I, I think is very productive because it helps elevate your performance. It uh, doesn't... Uh, make you too complacent. It, it uh, keeps you on edge in, in, in a good way. Um, so I've, I've never really conquered, I, I suppose, the nerves in, in that sense. But the, the, the best way of combating them was to keep doing what I was doing. If I stuffed up a, a voice report, if I stuffed up a live cross on radio or TV, I'd go back um, and I'd still do and look, look at the tape, listen to the audio and uh, see what I've um, done wrong, watch what I've done wrong often thankfully with the help of some mentors and older journalists over the years, helping me, telling me, giving me advice. And that just builds into a, hopefully a better live cross or a better story next time around. So it's just been a continual process over 30 years, which continues to this day. I was glad to hear you say that about the nerve sort of thing. Cause I, I get that all the time, like terribly, like, does it get easier as you, as you get more experienced and older? Uh, yes, yes and no. Um, you strike me as a very self-confident young man, Charlie. I find, I find you being nervous very hard to uh, to believe, but uh, I'll, I'll take you at your word. I, um, yeah, uh, it's, it, it, it's, you never really um, get on top of them. I mean, Winston Churchill used to talk about getting nerves before making speeches, and he was one of the greatest orators of all time. Seasoned journalists, um, broadcast journalists here in Australia say that they... Uh, you know, are never quite comfortable um, in the studio or on, on live locations or whatever. Um, but that said, you know, as I just going back to what I was saying before, the nerves can be a good thing. Nerves can sort of insert more, um, certainly adrenaline into your body, but insert more passion into your performance. And because, you know, a lot of live TV 
broadcasts, a lot of live TV crosses are, yes, they're news, yes, they're important getting uh, information across, but they are performances. And I find having you know a bit of nerves in the background helps those performances. I think it adds a little bit of cautiousness as well, obviously, because like in these sort of big interviews and stuff and when you're presenting on TV, one mistake really can in your career, can't it? Is that cutthroat of business? Yes, it can. Um, and there's nothing like three hours of live TV every morning to keep you on your toes. So a lot of it's ad-libs. Um, so we're always in danger of putting our foot in our mouths on, on, on TV. Uh, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a tightrope. Um, but with experience, you sort of get to engage the brain a bit quicker before words start tumbling out of the mouth, or I hope I'm at that stage. Uh, so to prevent any on-air stuff-ups and on-air disasters, um, so yeah that's that's always in the back of my mind thinking my god please let me have a job at the end of this three-hour shift how much weight do you put sort of as you, uh, people at a young age sort of getting like volunteer work and experience how much weight do you put on that uh a lot of weight i i uh in the first year when i was at university when i was getting disenchanted with the actual courses and, and the and the lecturers and the tutors um, and when I was starting to think about getting out and getting into journalism full time, I, I got I did volunteer work at the student radio station at the university I was studying at. I did that for much of that year I was at university, which was great in terms of uh, not, not just learning how to uh, present with a microphone, but learning how to cut tape. It was tape back then, uh, uh, learning how to edit, learning how to put packages, audio packages together. So I did that. I also got work experience as um, they used to be called copy boys at uh, one of the older newspapers here in uh, in Sydney. I'm in Melbourne now, but I was I grew up in Sydney, and that involved just literally um, running running errands for the journalists. Often, you know, bringing beers into them uh, in, into the the newsroom for them late at night, just doing absolutely menial tasks, but in the process, just learning how the newsroom operates. So between that job at the newspaper and the volunteer uh, work at the radio station, um, I'm convinced got me the job at the ABC because if I didn't do that volunteer work, if I didn't do that uh, work at the newspaper, um, I would not be in with a chance to, to get that job or possibly even to get as far as an interview. So I highly recommend getting, you know, doing as much volunteer work as you can in, in the media if you can swing it. That's what I was going to ask. Is do you think it um, helps if you get a lot of um, experience before you go for a journalism job or volunteering work? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 by having that on your resume uh, tells the uh, your potential employers, well, look, Joe's gone and done work at uh, one of the Sheffield, um, you know, community radio stations. He's given up his Saturday mornings or his Sunday nights. Gee, he must be keen. Um, this bloke hasn't. Uh, this this woman hasn't. Let's let's go for Joe. So um, yeah, it, it's it's it was a drag from memory. Um, you know, I, I could think of various other ways of spending weekends, especially the graveyard shifts. So I recall doing lots of overnight shifts when nobody else wanted to present the the radio programs. But um, it was invaluable experience and invaluable uh, an invaluable um, uh, marker to employers that I was really interested, keenly interested in getting into the game so yes uh, if any opportunity comes up grab it how was it like doing a graveyard shift i know obviously you do mornings now but back then how was it doing a graveyard shift uh yeah hard which was i don't know 10 11 o'clock at night until 
the wee hours, four or five, lonely. It was often just me. I was just doing everything from um, operating the panel to broadcasting to playing the records. Um, uh, yeah, I, I recall, you know, trying not to doze off some mornings. Some lots of coffee, lots and lots of coffee, eating lots of crappy food, sugary food to uh, keep me awake. Um, but yeah, you know, great, great experience. The only, the only sad thing was we didn't have talkback, which would have been fun being able to engage with often the lunatics who are up at the early hours of the morning wanting to, wanting to um, spar with you. Um, problem was it's a student radio station, so there were probably only two or three people listening anyway. So I knew that that was always in the back of my mind. So if I stuffed up, it was okay. Nobody was listening. What's easier, uh, breakfast or graveyard? Oh, listen, probably breakfast in the sense that you do have, the, you know, some of the day to yourself. Um, it's, it's an early start. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted. My, my day at breakfast starts at 3 o'clock in the morning when I wake up, or just before 3, actually. Um, the show is on from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., and often I'll be around for an hour, maybe more after the show, to debrief, to prepare for the next show. But at the end of that, you know, I've still got the day. Um, I'm still here at six o'clock Melbourne time, not fast asleep, getting ready to wake up at, you know, nine o'clock for the graveyard shift. So I, I think despite the equally appalling hours, breakfast is uh, much easier on the body and much much easier on the, um, the, the social and, and family life. Definitely. Just like when you were coming up as a journalist and obviously now today's journalism, how much do you think has there been a mass massive change or a drastic change you've noticed over the years? Uh, yes, there has. The, the media has got much more uh, fragmented back when I started, um, and I'm sure it was the case in the UK as well. There was only, this is before the internet, I'm, I'm that old, right? This <laughs> before we came into being. We had uh, just a handful of radio stations uh four maybe five tv stations in sydney a couple of daily newspapers and that was it so the media was much more concentrated uh fast forward to 2020 and you guys know more than i you know you can get your news from a gazillion sources not just the bbc not just sky not just the times not just the sun um you can get it just by typing in the web you know the domain name for a website, you name it anywhere, not just in the UK, but you know, Australia, the US. Um, so uh, it's good and bad, good in the sense that yes, there's more information around, so it's, uh, it's more diffuse and there are more avenues to, to get it. Bad in the sense that it creates, sadly, um, more uh, channels for disinformation and for people uh, not having the best interests of people at heart in terms of getting across, dare I say, fake news and um, facts that aren't necessarily correct, which is an ongoing challenge uh, for us in the media. We, we try to stay on the straight and narrow and present the facts as we know it. But with this diffuse array of media at the moment, um, it's just very challenging, especially for young people um, to know where to get their information from and know what source is credible and what source isn't credible. So that's probably my main concern about where the media is at the moment. Yeah, How do you so. think um, journalists have changed? Because, like, people become journalists off YouTube around now, but how do you think that's changed now? Uh, it has changed. Um, I think journalists drink less than when I started, which is a great thing. 
uh, I, I began in the day of, of like really boozy journalists. Was, the journalists thought nothing of about uh, just uh, getting up from their typewriters. Yes, we had typewriters still at midday and going down for a three or four hour liquid lunch and stumbling back to the newsroom and writing a story. That's, that's gone, which is great. Um, but all jokes aside, uh, it's, it's certainly harder for younger journalists to uh, get into the market. And I'm telling you to suck eggs, obviously, you, you know, more, that more than I do at the moment because of the contraction of, of I guess, the mainstream media. Um, there are fewer jobs I know at the ABC. Um, I wouldn't be surpri too surprised if there were fewer jobs, entry-level jobs at the BBC and, and Sky and, and the equivalents over there. But at the same time, there are digital media, very you know, good, uh, worthwhile, credible digital media outfits that are springing up, which um, are offering jobs and ways in the pathways into younger journalists. Um, harder to get, and you know, it's always a challenge. But you know, it, I'm confident that there is still going to be an appetite for news. There is still going to be an appetite for for facts, for credible facts. Sure, the media industry looks very different now. It's much more fragmented, but um, there's always going to be a demand for journalists. Uh, it's just a bit more um, tricky for journalists to actually get in and uh, get their foot in the door, sadly. I'm intrigued to know, as someone from obviously England, obviously you are in Australia at the minute, Melbourne, what's the print sort of situation, like print journalism? Is that on the rise, on the, on the down rise? Because in the UK, it really is, I would say, on the decrease mm -hmm. like for people reading it and just the numbers it used to get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're spot on, Charlie. You know, I, I keep across a newspaper or media trends across the world, and uh, it's very much the case in the UK. It's certainly the case here in Australia, certainly, um, in terms of the, the printed product. And we're seeing newspaper groups going increasingly into digital, uh, focusing increasingly on getting digital subscribers, uh, knowing full well that the, the trend line for the sale of printed newspapers is just going like that, and it'll just it's keep it'll keep going down. And newspaper executives here have said uh, quite candidly that they expect to see printed newspapers disappear possibly within five years, um, maybe uh, a bit less, maybe a bit more, but you know that they are in terminal decline. So it's a digital space now. It's uh, it's all digital. The problem is um, it's harder to uh, sell. It's not harder to sell ads uh, for digital uh, newspaper websites, just that the, the rates, the, the price for those ads ain't as lucrative as it is for the printed product. So the newspapers are facing, with that, are facing that revenue challenge and subscribers, um, sub the subscriber base uh, is good. It's great to see it growing because you know, I'm all for as many journalists keeping their jobs as possible. But it's it's often trickier to keep subscribers, get subscribers, keep subscribers as it is uh, compared to the glory days of knowing that you'll sell, you know, set set number of newspapers, you know, set hundreds of thousands of newspapers for a cover price, uh, which is quite you know profitable, and the newspapers reaping all that profit. So it's 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 a challenge, but um, I, I, I'd expect to see newspapers as is with the UK, as with the US, the printed version of. Uh, uh, really starting to fade away sometime in this next decade. I think with that as well, you start sort of start to get people just, just really reading the headlines with the digital sort of things and not actually reading the story then as well, not yep. and taking it all in. Oh, that's true. And 
people, especially uh, younger people, have been accustomed to getting their news for free. A, a lot of the news outlets have come late to the subscriber challenge. Um, but as And so as a result, you've got this generation of, thankfully, avid news consumers, like you young chaps, um, who uh, quite like reading the news for free and you know, don't necessarily want to pay for it. So you get the situation where, uh, as you said, Charlie, you might get to a website of a, uh, a paywalled newspaper or for that matter, any other media site. Um, you can't get in, you don't want to pay to get in. You'll see a headline, which could be very uh, deceptive compared to what the actual story says. Um, so it's just like that bite-sized news chunks, which will give you the, the basic information, but doesn't necessarily give you the context of the news, doesn't necessarily give you, uh, you know, the, the full texture of where this event is and where it's going. And that's not great for people's understanding of society, of politics, and uh, just where the world is going more generally. Definitely, I agree. Um, next question for me, from me is, um, I'm interested to know how you ended up in North America for working as a Washington journalist. I applied for the job um, and, again, was lucky enough to, to get the job. This is back in 2005. By that stage, I'd been with the ABC for 15 or so years and was building myself up to getting overseas. Uh, like the BBC, the ABC has many postings overseas. And I was always very keen on getting a posting uh, to a place like the United States. I've always been fascinated by US politics, by US culture, by American society. And again, as with getting into the ABC, it's a very competitive process. And I was very lucky to get the job out of a very big field of applicants and very privileged to be there for four years from 2005 onwards. And very lucky that that four years happened to coincide with uh, before Donald Trump, one of the biggest stories in American politics over the last 20 years, and that was the election of Barack Obama. Uh, so I covered uh, his campaign quite closely. Uh, John McCain, his Republican Challengers campaign quite closely, um, and was there on the night that he was elected president in November 2008 in Chicago, about 30, 50 metres away from the stage when he came out to speak. I was there on inauguration day in January 2009 when he was sworn in as president so uh, very lucky to be there um, and covered very uh, happily another several other great stories in the states as well it was a great professional experience but also a great life experience. Do you have a personal favorite from America? Oh listen the, the, the Obama presidency or covering that or his election was a personal favorite uh, at the other end of the spectrum, one of, one of, one of the favourite stories I did was, it was a colour story, there's this old road called Route 66, um, uh, which stretches essentially from the west coast all the way to the east coast. Uh, this tiny two-lane road, it's since been uh, overtaken by the interstate highways, but it's very, uh, uh, very uh, heavy in American society, songs have been written about it. People have spent years going up and down this um, uh, road. So long story short, uh, we came across these Harley Davidson bikies who uh, made it their, their journey in life to uh, every few months or so ride a section. It's a long road. It goes for hundreds of kilometres. Ride a section of Route 66, uh, stay in small towns, go to small bars, ride the next section, visit the tourist locations. 
And so I spent a happy week or so following them um, on their Harleys, often riding Pillin uh, with them, filming with my one of my cameramen um, and really getting to taste some uh, country life, American life, small town life. It was, uh, it was a really great experience. And the, the Harley Davidson guys didn't beat me up at the end of it. So I was very lucky. Brilliant. Uh, is there sort of a difference between an approach to American journalism and Australian journalism? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I, I found it's, it's much easier to be a journalist in America uh, because uh, it's much easier to get people to speak to you, um, quite simply. Um, I, I recall uh, being quite uh, able to pick up a phone, even as a foreign reporter, to ring an official at the Defence Department or the State Department or the White House um, uh, and get them to at least pick up the phone, if not speak to you. Uh, there's this culture of, you know, speaking to journalists in the States that isn't necessarily the case here in Australia. If you try that here in Australia, you get very short shrift as well. And I'm pretty sure it's a very similar situation in Britain too. More of a culture of secrecy, more of a culture of not wanting to speak to journalists. Um, you know, sorry, mate, you've got to go and speak to the PR person, can't help you, can uh, very different experience in America. Um, so I found that was one of the most liberating experiences over there and it was very hard coming back to Australia and going back to struggling to get people to speak to you on the phone. So uh, I'd certainly say that was one of the, the, the one of the key differences and still is the key difference. I doubt, doubt there wasn't any challenges sort of thing with the accent and stuff. Was there, was there any challenges with being Australian in America reporting on Yes. Uh, the accent, yeah, was, was an issue. I was often mistaken for being either a Chris or a South African, depending on where I was. Um, you often had to um, uh, put on a very, um, almost an awkward Australian accent. You know, uh, a guy, an actor called Paul Hogan, who was quite big here years ago, you know, put a shrimp on the barbie. Uh, you know, the, the Australian accent is a bit broader than how I speak. It's g'day, mate, how are you? I'm from down under. It's great being here in America. I love you. Love you, Yanks. Which they could understand. Uh, but if I was speaking in this voice, uh, this accent, they couldn't. So I had to sort of change the accent a bit. But often it actually helps um, because there was and still is this deep um, affiliation, affection between Australia and America. And once they heard you were from Australia, more often than not, they'd say, hey, g'day, mate, uh, love you, Aussies, uh, how are those kangaroos? And you'd, you'd sort of strike up a conversation. So it actually was quite helpful being a foreign reporter as opposed to any old you know, American reporter going to a place like Alabama or Mississippi or, or um, Tennessee trying to do a story. Brilliant. Was there a sort of a, a piece of advice that stood out to you while I was over there in America that, was, that really, like I say, stood out to you? Uh, advice, I just don't, don't be afraid to uh, get on the phone, don't be afraid to uh, ask questions, which is sort of the advice I've been following all the way through my career, but because you're, I was on a much bigger stage in America, um, you know, the best sort of advice, the best advice I've had for many times from many different senior journalists was there is no such thing as a dumb question. You know, you might think it's a silly question asked at the end of a media conference or asked over the phone to an official, uh, but it's often that question that could get you the, the, the story you're after, get you the, the lead 
year after. So I, I, I guess my time in the States have really distilled this in that um, yeah, the, 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 uh, this ethos of not being afraid, not being, not being hesitant to uh, just go out there and ask questions to speak to as many people as possible. You said earlier that the ABC had um, different places. Did you work anywhere else abroad? Uh, yes, I have for short-term postings. I've I've worked in um, well, I've been back to America a few times. I, I was there in November covering the election, the last presidential election. I was back for the 2016 election, back for the 2012 election as well. I've reported from uh, India, from Indonesia, from Cuba. I visited Cuba while I was living in America, uh, Turkey. Um, New Zealand and a few other countries, yeah. But uh, America is the only posting I've had. So I've been lucky enough to get to all those other, Vietnam, all those other places um, for, for short-term assignments. When you go to sort of different places, is there, is there like a different approach or sort of a style, like I say, with, with obviously the difference between American and Australia, is there a different approach in those other countries you take? Or is it because you, you, you're hosting on an Australian platform that it's a similar sort of approach? Yeah, it's a similar, it's pretty similar. And, you know, journalism's journalism, wherever you go, you're there to cover a story, you're there to find a story. You could be in um, Cuba or America or Vietnam or America or Australia or, or Britain. The difference is, of course, say in, in Cuba, it was very hard to do your job because we were, we, we were there on the ground for a week and were tailed for all that week by a government official. It's Cuba's communist regime. They don't necessarily like journalists. Uh, journalists are, re are repressed in countries like that. So we had um, uh, this very helpful, very smiley Cuban government official following us, uh, which of course limited what we could do, limited our movements, limited uh, the number of people who may have wanted to speak to us, but didn't or couldn't because there was a government official there and they'd get into trouble, big trouble if, if they spoke to us. Um, so there are differences, certainly, where you are as a journalist and doing your job, but fundamentally it's the same, um, you know, in, in any country, you're there, get the story, speak to the people, who, what, why, when and how, the, the, the basic fundamentals of any story, and uh, write your story fairly and ethically, and um, that's, that's the approach you take, wherever you are. Does it get intimidating when you're being followed around by, like, a... Oh yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I, it, you know, it got a bit humorous towards the end. Um, we we tried to sleep a couple of times, but it didn't didn't work. Uh, a similar situation in Vietnam. I was in Vietnam covering one of the summits between Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un. Uh, one of those photo charades. Uh, again, uh, not it wasn't as heavy handed as Cuba, but there was always somebody there from the government that you had to deal with. Uh, a government official that you had to pay, uh, I forget what the term was, journalist facilitation fees. It's just basically giving them a wad of money to enable you to work in that country. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it was to some extent intimidating, but you, you get used to it and you, know, you try not to be intimidated, which is, which is the trick. And that's usually the case. This is an important matter in journalism, being persistent, but not pushy. It is, yeah. Uh, it's uh, persistence is uh, one of the key tenets of journalism. Uh, it should be, you know, etched into the forehead of anybody wanting to be a journalist. Never give up. 
never take no for an answer, ring again if somebody's giving you the, the, um, the, the, the short shrift, email them again, call them again, try somebody else. Uh, make an absolute pest of yourself. It, it may feel awkward, you may feel embarrassed, but um, that's often the only way to actually break through the walls of resistance and, and break through people's reluctance reluctance to, to speak to you. And there is a fine line between being persistence, persist, too persistent and I guess uh, over the top and you know, too rude or too aggressive. So you've always got to walk that front line, but never forget as a journalist, you're, you are there uh, working on behalf of your, in my case, viewers. Um, and if you're a newspaper journalist, your readers, radio station, your listeners, you're there to hold powerful people to account. And uh, that often involves persistence to the point of being rude. As How important would you say it is to um, change your tone or your language when depending on who you're interviewing? Uh, yes, yeah, it's very important. You've got to learn as a journalist to be able to speak to everybody from the factory worker on the factory floor to the prime minister in the prime minister's office. Um, and by definition, you use uh, a different approach uh, in, in those two different examples, just, just two examples. Um, you can't, you know, uh, when, when you're dealing with businessmen, uh, business groups, uh, company chief executives, there's a way of dealing with them to, to get the best sort of information out of them. You've sort of got to speak their own language, sort of pretend to adopt their own jargon, if you like, but with the, the, the main aim of getting the talk and getting them to give you the story. Um, and if you're out speaking to, you know, mine workers, um, you're there, you know, speaking, speaking in their language, you might, you know, go out and have a drink with them just to cut the ice, um, break the break some bread and and, uh, and and really speak to them at their level so it's, it's it is a it is a bit of a skill and it's something that doesn't necessarily happen overnight as a journalist when you are told no say for an interview or a quote or a soundbite um do, do you sometimes leave out no or is it keep pushing or keep persisting like we say for a yes maybe i'll give you a quote or something like that yeah, uh, yeah. Be, be just be persistent. Make an absolute pest of yourself. Um, you know, get in their face in a, in a very polite, polite way, as polite as you can be. Um, and just you know, say that okay, well, let's. Uh, if you won't speak to me, I'll, I'll try somebody else, and you know, keep keep hammering that that other person. Um, it's the last resort to take a no comment, but often a no comment from somebody, say a politician at the centre of a controversy often signifies that they, they do have something they want to hide, they do have something that they're avoiding answering and by saying, you know, no comments, I don't want to speak, um, in many people's minds, you know, makes them appear more shifty and more guilty than they otherwise uh, would be. So it's a pretty counterproductive approach, speaking as a journalist, but often, you know, a no comment speaks volumes as to what the person you're trying to get the comment from is, is trying to say or, or not to say. Definitely. Well, what was the, which workload was higher uh, before you went to America, Australia or America in Washington? Well, sorry, which workload level, level of workload? Oh, workload. Yeah. Oh, listen, um, the workload as a correspondent um, was very, very uh, heavy and, put on the top of that 
really challenging time zone differences as we are now experiencing. Uh, for instance, appearing on the 7 p.m. news in here in Australia, in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, depending on daylight savings and, and different time zones, often involve being uh, up on air at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, that was often at the end of a long day. Uh, there'd be days like covering the election campaign or election nights. You'd be literally up for 24 hours, 48 hours, not quite 48 hours, but say a day and a half. Uh, filing during the day, being up at night, being up at three o'clock to do the live cross to uh, the main news bulletin in, in, in Sydney. So uh, it's very heavy as a correspondent, but that said, um, it's quite heavy at the moment uh, doing what I do. It's, it's a big job. It's obviously, you know, the shifts are crazy. It's an early morning start. And on any given morning, you know, we can be covering everything from world affairs, what's going on in the UK, the COVID situation, uh, to Australian politics, through to, you know, being across what the latest uh, film is or speaking to a musician or doing a, a, a cookery, cooking segment. So it's you've actually, your, your brain's got to be across so many things. So the, the, work, the workload's still very heavy. It was heavy in Washington, but just the, the different types of workloads. Brilliant. My next question for you, Michael, is was it a hard decision to inevitably leave America to go back like sort of home? Uh, yes, it was pretty pretty hard. I mean, there was we, ha we have set postings. I was only there for four years, so there was no question that I was coming home after, after four years. But it was hard because my posting ended just after I'd covered the election of Barack Obama. You know, at that time, the biggest story in the world. Um, and to go from that to covering relatively low-key stuff back in Australia was, was quite hard. Um, and also I, I had very young kids at that stage and they'd made friends and it was sort of very hard to, you know, wrench them up to, to come back home as well. But in a, in a journalistic sense, yeah, you know, you, you're walking on this huge global stage in terms of covering the biggest stories in the world, to covering, um, you know, relatively parochial stories back in Australia. So that was... A challenge and a lot of correspondents coming back find the, the transition a bit tricky um, and, I, and I certainly did uh, back in 2009. So problems did you face coming back and challenges like you mentioned? Oh just just uh, uh, having you know such great exposure such great uh, um, so, so great platforms for my stories in the US being on every day uh, having a prominent position in the news bulletins to all of a sudden not being on every day, to, to not having prominent positions in news bulletins, often you know, going several days without getting, getting a story up. So it, it, it took a while, but luckily within the space of, I think eight months, seven or eight months between arriving back in Australia uh, and, start, and uh, seven or eight months before this breakfast job came up. So, um, so the, the transition period was, was tough, was challenging, but thankfully, not as long as it has been for other returning correspondents. You sort of uh, feel that sort of a nostalgia when you go back and you obviously report on the sort of US elections which you went back last year as well. You sort of feel a nostalgia when you're going back to America to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I love America. I love American politics. Politics. I love going back, although uh, obviously it was very strange going back in November in the age of COVID. I was literally one of only 30 people on my 747 jet flying out of Sydney to Washington for the first time in my life, had a complete row of economy seats to myself, never had a 
or probably never will again. Um, and it was uh, strange being back on the ground. So it was tra- strange, but also a bit anxious being on the ground you know, in America where COVID um, is a huge problem and certainly was a huge problem in November as well. So we had to take all these precautions, um, safety protocols that slowed down what we do on the ground, but kept us safe. So there was that sort of luck added to what we were doing. But that said, it was great um, being there, um, being there on, on election night, broadcasting live to Australia. Um, and I've had that feeling um, every time I've been back to the States, which has been now the last three elections since my, my posting. So yeah, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of love for America, like going back, like Americans um, in, in general terms. So yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be. So like that feel again of obviously like you said reading bulletins and being prominent again on like sort of American stories. Uh, it, it's good, yeah. It's um, I, I certainly you know you don't mind the exposure, but it's, I, it's I'm privileged because it's a, a story. It's a, a country I, I like covering, so I can really get my teeth into it. I've got some good um, sources of knowledge on the ground there, some good people I, I speak to about American politics. So, I mean, that, that helps with my understanding and certainly I hope helps with the, the viewers and listeners' understanding of the stories I'm, I'm covering. So, um, and, and we do quite a bit of um, American news on, on the breakfast show as well. So I managed to scratch the itch um, every day or every couple of days anyway, which is, which is great. Brilliant. Uh, when you were found out about the breakfast show that you were going to be, I think it was co-hosting at the time, wasn't it? What was yep. the uh, feeling like for yourself? Uh, the surprise. Um, I didn't necessarily think that that was where I was going to end up or that I was um, in the in the mix to be asked to, to do the job. Um, but that said, um, I, I grabbed the opportunity. Um, and that's, you know, that'd be... Uh, another key advice to young journalists, be it at the very start doing volunteer work for community radio stations and the like, uh, if you're lucky enough to get a career in journalism, um, try to grab every opportunity, no matter how challenging or no matter how much it might put you out, because you never know that opportunity could um, you know, help leapfrog you to the next level. And that was certainly the case with breakfast. Um, it was was and still is crazy hours. It was very different to what anything I'd ever done before. Again, it was quite a transition from being a straight news reporter, a straight down the barrel to um, opening up a bit of my, my personality, uh, you know, flicking the switch from heavy to light, which you need to do as a breakfast TV host. That was a, a bit of a, um, a rocky path, a bit of a, a bit of a strange transition. But um, in the end, it was absolutely the, the right uh, job to take at the right time. Would you say you miss being like in the field of a journalist? Yes, I do. Uh, but I, thankfully, I, I get the opportunity to get out quite a bit. Uh, obviously, not so much now with, with COVID. Um, but in the 10 years I've been doing this breakfast job, I've been uh, able to go overseas, as I said, back to America several occasions, to the other countries I spoke about earlier, and lots and lots and lots of trips in and around Australia, different states, small country towns. Um, so that um, by doing that, it enables me to... Um, keep attached to my roots I guess as a journalist and not feel too stir crazy or too stuck in the studio so getting out getting out is very very important as a journalist because it involves not just getting it involves speaking to people just getting out there and you know doing journalism 101 which is 
getting out finding stories, speaking to people and uh, getting those people um, on, onto the TV or radio. How much of your personality, like you say, do you portray on a breakfast show? Because I've seen like some statements and like when directors jumped on the floor and stuff, and that was a great little moment. Like, how much of your personality do you show on like a breakfast show? Oh, it depends on the day. It depends how how stupid the directors are and how how stuff goes wrong and stuff goes wrong. It's three hours of live TV, so uh, uh, stuff will go wrong and certainly does go wrong. So you just go with the flow. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm certainly much more open now than what I was um, or less, I guess, anxious about showing my personality than I was when I started. Um, it took, took a fair while to get out of the, you know, the straight jacket of being a straight news reporter and no, no opinions, no personality, just, just the straight facts um, to now, you know, happily, you know, cracking what I think are funny jokes. People might disagree on air, um, you know, uh, uh, joking with people we speak to um, in other parts of Australia or other, other parts of the, of the world. Um, yeah, so it's, it's still an ongoing process. You know, I'm, 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 still, I'm still fundamentally a, a news reporter at heart, not necessarily a presenter, but presenting is what I'm doing at the moment. And, um, you yeah, know, each, each year it's got easier to, to flick that switch to vaudeville, as we say. I think that's as you get more comfortable, not just with the role you're doing, but obviously the person you're doing it with as well. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly 10 years down the track more comfortable doing what I do. And I'm lucky enough to have a great co-presenter uh, in Lisa Miller, who um, I've known for decades. And we have a, a pretty, a very good uh, relationship off camera, um, off air as well. We're very good friends. And that helps, and I think that's, that, uh, that shines through on air as well. It's, it's very important to have, uh, and I, I hate the word, but this is the word they use, great chemistry with your co-presenter if you're doing a, a show like a breakfast TV show because you're coming into people's living rooms, often when they're still you know, half asleep, half dressed, hair, messy hair, making coffee. You don't want to be too, too frightening or too, too awkward. So to have that... Um, a uh, smooth relationship with your product, uh, presenting team is, is a very um, uh, important thing for a breakfast TV show. It sort of becomes like a professional sort of chat with your friend on it, like just about the news when you're doing it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Now we often <clears throat> often forget the cameras are on when we're chatting away about, you know, the issue we're, we're talking about or what Lisa did on the weekend or what I was doing, you know, what I'm doing that night. Um, it is often to slip away into just a normal conversation until we're told by our director and our earpieces to get on with the next story to know you're not sitting at the coffee shop, you're actually on air, <laughs> national TV show, do your job. So, um, yeah, we often have to be pulled into line. <laughs> is there any uh, like sort of morning shows you've seen like different countries and stuff that you, you like to like sometimes watch clips of and stuff? Yeah, I do. I, I keep across morning shows mainly in the US and the UK. Uh, one of my favourite shows uh, in the US is a show called Morning Joe. I don't know whether you guys have uh, heard yeah, of yeah. Presented by Joe. Uh, uh, he's actually a former Republican politician, but he's been a broadcaster for many years. Wow. Joe Scarborough. Um, I I've often watch it live here at, at night um, um, in their morning time. Uh, so I like that. I, I see clips. Um uh, quite a bit of BBC breakfast news of uh, Piers Morgan's 
show and Susanna Reid's show. I think they're Good Morning, Good Morning Britain. Britain. Yeah. Good Morning Britain, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Piers can be a polarising figure. I think you either <laughs> love or hate him, but um, he seems to be very entertaining. So, I, yeah, I, I, I see clips. And it's, it helps us as well keep across what is best practice when it comes to breakfast TV shows around the world. So, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'll ever model myself on Piers Morgan, but um, I'll, I'll you know then. Have you ever tried to um, implement other people like other TV presenters into your TV presenting? Oh, not really, no. Um, the best advice I had from uh, one of the producers when I started uh, was to be yourself as a TV presenter. People can spot a mile out somebody trying to be someone they're not. And it was great advice and advice I still adhere to. So in that sense, no, I, I don't follow. I don't try to be anybody else because that wouldn't necessarily be authentic. And I think people would see through that uh, very quickly. So no, it's just boring old me people are stuck with. Is it important as well when you're, not, when you're sort of doing these sort of breakfast shows and mean these like live bulletins and stuff, not to make it about yourself as a journalist and obviously make it about the news, but also add that little bit of humour as well? Yeah, as in not 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 try not to be Piers Morgan. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not about you, Piers. Not about you. Uh, it's about the audience. It's about the news. You know that that's the approach we take. Um, and fundamentally, our show is we're called News Breakfast. Uh, we're called News Breakfast for a reason. Uh, yes, we're a breakfast show, but it's all about news primarily. Sure, we do lots of light stuff, and you know you need light stuff as well to make it not too serious but we're we both Lisa and I are solid news journalists at heart uh, it's not about us it's about uh fundamentally our audience and interviewing politicians uh speaking to other people on their behalf so yeah once you think it's all about you or once it becomes in your head all about you I think that's when you start going downhill when you do, good morning, Britain. Sometimes forgets because it's sometimes usually a shouting match between them all, like, and they forget like it's for the people. It's a good morning show, like it's meant yeah, to be. absolutely. And I've seen those clips, yeah, with Piers uh, getting into shouting matches and talking over his co-presenter. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it can be entertaining, and and hey, sometimes you know it, it gets the right answers out of politicians who don't necessarily want to give those answers. But so on the other hand, it can be, as you say, Joe, counter, counterproductive, um, a bit too much for people to have over their cornflakes uh, when, uh, in the morning when it becomes all about somebody's ego, which um, often is by the sounds of it. Yeah, I was going to say that when you're doing a sort of a breakfast show, like, you, it's like, do you feel like a sort of responsibility to pick the nation up in a sense, but not too much? And like, obviously, with shouters, shouting on the rate on, in the morning and stuff. Absolutely. No, you put your uh, finger on it. Charlie, it's a, it's a very fine line you draw. Uh, people tune into us for news. Uh, so that's our primary objective is to give them news. But equally, we don't want to send them off to work feeling depressed or worse than they woke up. So uh, that's where we inject a lot of light. We, we mix it up between heavy and light. Say we'll be interviewing you know, a senior politician, one moment, one segment, then have our resident chef come in for a, a light chat about what, what food she's cooking or we'll have um, uh, a, a, a prominent actor coming in talking about their movie then going to speak to a, a senior business figure about a very important story so you've, you've, you know every morning it's never perfect there's there's not a formula for it but you, you've got to um, inject 
uh, some light into the heavy. Otherwise, it's a completely boring program. We have like tough times at the minute, obviously, with last year being a tough year and this year starting off the same in some countries. I won't say every country, some some countries have really like picked, picked it up and really on top of it. But how do you sort of keep that, like you say, that positive mindset and not making people depressed when you've got some negative things to report? And is it the little segments, like you say, just having a little act, an actor on or the, the chef? Yeah, yeah, no, we try to get as much light relief, but it's also um, you've got to be very careful in judging when to stay away from the light. I mean, as within the UK, there have been some really grim mornings here. Thankfully, we're not in as bad a situation as you are every year. But last year, when nobody knew where this was going and we had lots of deaths, uh, Melbourne City I live and work in was locked down for one and off six months or so. People were losing their jobs. Uh, and of course, worst case, people were getting sick and dying. There were some really grim mornings. And it's often the case that, um, no, it's, we, we can't do light. It, it's too serious. And we've just actually got to get the news, no matter how depressing, across to people. So, you know, there'd be more than a few mornings like that. But again, we've got to finally judge it as often as we can. Uh, we try to, you know, inject that, that light into it. But when it's a really shitty time, when it's a really um, tough morning, you can't really sugarcoat it. Um, and I think the audience doesn't really, if they're feeling a bit anxious and wanting to know everything about what's happening, that they don't want you to sugarcoat it. So we're always conscious of that. Do you think it could um, affect a reporter's mental health always talking about the negative stuff? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty hard as a journalist to talk about... Um, on air every morning, rising death tolls in, in the UK, in the US, uh, people getting sick and dying, uh, people losing their jobs, people losing their, their homes, uh, all, sorts of, all sorts of chaos. So, and you'd be a complete robot if you said that that doesn't have some effect on you day after day, week after week, month after month. Um, so we've, uh, we have a very good program at the ABC as does every other news organisation. Just it's a counselling service. If you ever need to uh, pick up the phone to speak to somebody, they'll, they'll be there on the other end of the line just to talk through any issues you have. There's provision to take time off if the really good news is getting too much for you. So um, there's that support structure, thankfully, at the ABC, which uh, certainly uh, quite a few of my colleagues have used over the last year or so. That's terrific that that's in place. It's in that say it's unprecedented times. It's really needed. Uh, yeah, just, no, it's important. Just on that, um, what sort of things have you learned about yourself in this last year or so with it being, like I say, unprecedented circumstances? Uh, I've learned that uh, you know, I, I'm it's hard as old is. You know, I, I can keep it together in the mornings. Um, I mean, there's, there's there have been some mornings where it's been a hard yakka. You, know, you go into the studio before the show, you know, five to six in the morning, knowing that you've just got three hours of a shit show to get across to people. And that's hard. And so I've, I've learned a lot about myself. Uh, there have been moments, and again, I'd be lying if, uh, if I said there weren't moments where I've found it difficult to, you know, get through the morning, given how grim it, it has been some mornings. But I've learned, I guess, that I've got a fair bit of resilience, um, Decades of being a broadcaster, as uh, decades of being a journalist, have risen to the surface to enable me to 
to get through these programs. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've learned probably that I'm um, you know, stronger character than perhaps I thought I was a year ago. But uh, yeah, it's not easy some mornings. Brilliant. Um, you've been at the ABC for many, many, many years now. Why do you think you've been there for so long? Because no one else will employ me. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, I uh, the reason I'm still here, and I've I've had job offers over the years to go elsewhere is that I, 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 I love working for the ABC. I, I love the uh, concept of public broadcasting. Uh, I think public broadcasting is a very important institution here in Australia, uh, as it is in Britain. I think the BBC is a very important institution. Uh, I've been lucky enough to um, have a range of opportunities, work in a range of cities and countries in my time at the ABC. So I've never really felt the urge to uh, look elsewhere. I've never really felt, yeah, I've probably had enough. It's time to move on. Um, so I've, I've been very fortunate, very privileged, very lucky to um, be here for 30 odd years or so. Um, and, you know, touch wood, still enjoy going into work every morning, even though it is appallingly early. Um, I still wake up um, as a journalist thinking, wow, you know, what, what am I going to learn today? What news am I going into the office to learn and therefore what news will I be presenting to the Australian audience? Um, I'm very lucky, very privileged. I was going to ask that like, as a journalist with like many experiences and stuff and with all the years under your belt, is it important at this stage not to stop learning like you say and keep striving to learn new things every day? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, then once you stop learning, once you stop trying to grow as a journalist, you, you die as a journalist. So I, I learn every, every day, every week. I, I, um, whether it's learning more about an issue we're covering, doing thing, professional things that I haven't done before, presenting different types of programs, different types of formats. Um, if you uh, are too static, uh, if you don't move, uh, you're not going to get anywhere. So it, it applies to whether you're an 18-year-old cadet in his or her first year of journalism or somebody in their 50s who's been in there in the organisation, in the media for more than 30 years. Um, you, you need to always be alive to opportunities, to growth opportunities, to, to learning new stuff every day. And that's certainly the approach I take. I think the, the actual field you're working and stuff, like just general news and everything really helps, like not so getting get in a rut, like per se, and because it's also yeah. it's new things every day covering on your, on your show. Oh, yeah, and I'm very lucky to, uh, covering the breakfast show, as I was saying earlier, covering the same every morning so uh you'd have to struggle to get bored with the job that i'm doing because there's a variety of different stories every day so i'm lucky uh compared to say if i was doing another job as a say covering the one issue say if i was covering politics or covering business as my main job you might get bored of just doing one thing and i've done that in the past and got bored doing that whereas i've got you know every morning a, a smorgasbord of stories a smorgasbord of issues to get my teeth into, which um, never gets boring. Definitely, I can imagine. Um, final few questions from me. Uh, what would you say sure. is the best moment of your career? The best moment of my career. Um, listen, a, a couple of a couple of good moments. One was certainly being there, as we discussed earlier, on election night in November two thousand and eight, and watching Barack Obama become president-elect, not being there as a journalist, but being there as history was unfolding, uh, him being the first black American president. Uh, 
I've also had the opportunity to speak to some childhood heroes, um, some Australian musicians who you guys probably wouldn't have heard of, but being able to speak to them on the TV, uh, being able to uh, speak to um, uh, international actors. There's a actor called Alan Alder, who um, he's in his 80s now, but he was in a show called MASH, which is very right. popular when growing up. Watched every day as a kid and uh, absolute fanboy moment, stroke journalist moment. I got to interview Alan when he was out in Australia about three or four years ago. So that was certainly a favourite moment for me. I was say, do you have many of them fanboy moments as a journalist, like when you talk to these big names and stuff? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, most recently, I uh, when he was out here, just before the pandemic struck, uh, I sat down with Rick Astley. Uh, you guys are too young to remember Rick Astley. I know the name. What, what's he uh, from? No, yeah, he's from. He's a UK singer. He was big in the big in oh. the eighties. Yeah, Rick Astley. Yeah, he's and he still sings. He still lives out in Australia doing a concert tour. Um, yeah, so that was part journalist, part fanboy moment. I was really lucky to chat to him. So yeah, it happens. Yeah, so the the, the challenge is not to be too gooey and gushy and you know ask the right questions of them. Yeah, you have like, one favorite interview. You like what your favorite interview from your career? Oh, gee, that's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say there are, that there's any favourite interview that pops out. I mean, I've had the privilege of speaking to every Prime Minister, and we've had quite a few in the last yeah. 10 years. So it's always a great opportunity to, to speak to a, a, an Australian Prime Minister. Um, but, yeah, just celebrity interviews. Uh, Alan Alder, I've spoken to Dolly Parton a couple of times, um, oh. famous singer. Um yeah, so there, you know, it's a mixture of the hard and the soft, softer interviews that are probably my favourite ones. Is there like a, a sort of a funny moment, a sort of a blooper that stands out to you as well in your career? Oh, yes. So there have been more than a, a couple of occasions where I thought I was off air, but I'm still on air. There was a case in America just recently in November when we were coming out to the break and uh, the I thought the camera was off me and we were getting set up to go to the next hour, but the camera was still on me and I was, thankfully didn't say, any incrimin say anything incriminating or swear, but I was just moving around and scratching my nose and doing things I wouldn't normally do, do on camera. But also, and you've seen the clips as well, you know, just stuff going wrong in the studios, people diving behind couches, cameras going rogue. Um, it, it keeps you on your toes. I can imagine. Uh, final question for me. Um, if I was asking, someone's asking as a 15 year old lad looking to get into journalism or TV presenting, radio presenting, uh, what would you the biggest piece of advice or learning lesson you would say to them? Be persistent, uh, never give up, uh, and read um, it would be a very key source of advice. Read as widely as possible, even stuff that you don't necessarily. Um, you're interested in um, but if if you have a breadth of knowledge uh, as a journalist that will put as a potential journalist that will put you ahead of so many other young people trying to get into the industry because uh, as a journalist you need to um, know uh, even just surface level information about a range of issues be it foot, uh, football you know politics arts and culture um, and you don't learn that um, without reading newspapers, reading books, 
just be curious, be absolutely curious, ask questions, be persistent, volunteer, uh, as we were talking about earlier, just put your foot forward, put your foot into doors to potential employers and just say, you know, not so much I won't be going home until you give me a job, but, uh, you know, can I come back tomorrow? What do I need to do? So it's it can be very soul-destroying at times. You know, I, I applied for heaps and heaps of jobs in that first year at university when I was trying to get out and got a lot of rejection slips. But just, just keep going um, and always be curious. Ne- never give up trying to learn new things. Definitely. Just so, there was one more question off the back of that, actually. Um, how important is it to, to like, read and stuff? Because it, it does add that sort of intelligence, intelligence doesn't it? And when, when you're speaking and stuff. And when I'm an MMA fan, when I see like fighters, like really good speakers, I'm like myself, like, he should be a commentator. Like, he should be on the news. You should be like, talking like news bulletins and stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and read, and not, not just reading into broadcast journalism. Um, I recall just sitting down with newspapers and having a, a microphone and recorder and, and reading uh, newspaper stories just to practice because I, I knew I wanted to go in radio and TV, more so the newspapers, uh, just day after day, even, even, even if it's only 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day, just read, read a story or two, listen back to yourself or bring it to somebody else to listen, somebody older, preferably a journalist, uh, and, and take tips and, and repeat the process. It's like, you know, it's, as a broadcast journalist, your voice is your main tool. It's like a plumber going out and, you know, he'll f- fix so many sinks before he becomes an absolute expert at it. The same applies to using your voice. You know, it's just, just practice, 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 day after day. Definitely. Uh, Joe, you have anything else to add or ask? Um, fine. Just anything else you'd like to add? I'll just uh, never give up. I know, I know it's very hard at the moment. I mean, the pandemic makes things everything harder. Um, it's, it is harder to get into the industry, uh, certainly here in Australia, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's the case in the UK as well. But while the media is changing, the demand for news isn't. There'll, there'll always be a demand for credible news, there'll always be a demand for straight information um, and always always bear that in mind. You might not, you know, get in on the first try. The bigger media organisations, the bigger newspapers, the bigger radio stations, the bigger TV stations, your first opportunity might come up in a, in a digital outlet or a, or a smaller uh, radio station. Um, just, just grab it, go to the country. Um, I mean, it's a smaller country than Australia over there, but, you know, I, I grabbed opportunities to go and work in the country when I first started and you learn a whole lot more in, in a much smaller office where you're doing a whole lot more than you do in a metropolitan newsroom. So grab those opportunities as well. If it means leaving home, uh, setting yourself up in a regional post in the UK, yeah, grab it. It's a, always a great opportunity. Don't be afraid to be independent, is that fair to say? Absolutely. And, and just don't be afraid to uh, be persistent. Don't be afraid. There's your slogan. Definitely. Brilliant. Well, Mark, this has been an absolute honour. I've enjoyed picking the brain of when you as an experienced pleasure. journalist and hearing your story and stuff. I know it must have been like intriguing for yourself when I messaged you and asked you to come on the show. But honestly, I, I can't thank you enough for this. I've loved every minute of it. It's been amazing. Oh, thank you. No, I, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Charlie. You know, I, I, I am still intrigued. I'm, I'm very privileged that you've sought me out of all of the hundreds and thousands of journalists around the world. Um, yeah, no, but it's, it's been great chatting to you guys, um, and, uh, and and thank you. I, I noticed you, you're doing some great work there with your podcasts, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the mix.